one of the things that I miss the most because of COVID is grabbing lunch or coffee uh, with with folks from our church. I think, in particular, I miss doing it with new families uh, and new persons just starting to to attend. I've I've managed to do it some virtually, but it's just not it's not the same. I love the chance to learn people's stories. Uh, I love the chance to learn some, some of their faith journey and their gifts and their passions. It also gives me great joy to be able to share authentically and openly and honestly about Village Church Rollsville. Um, and it may sound strange, but one of the things that, that I enjoy sharing the most about uh, this faith community is that we are a big tent as I like to say. We're a big tent. I always tell people that, that there are people from all across the political spectrum that are a part of our church. I let them know that they could be sitting next to a conservative on one side, a liberal on the other side, someone who voted for Trump in front of them, someone who voted for, for Biden behind them. If you're looking for a church where everyone is the same politically, where everyone thinks just like you do or votes just like you do, this probably isn't the church for you, I say. And so far, no one has balked or run away, at least not in there in that moment. <laughs> I don't know what happens later. Um, but here's the truth. If we're going to survive this election season, if we're going to follow Jesus instead of losing our minds and our way, then we have to lean more into that than ever. We have to constantly and consistently practice loving unconditionally those we differ from politically. We have to recognize the ties that bind those of us who follow Jesus are so much more substantial, so much stronger, so much more beautiful than political uniformity. We don't get to vote on this. We don't get to vote each other off the island. We need one another, and we are called to be one. Welcome to episode two of Survivor Election Edition. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us, transform us, uh, so that we might bear fruit for you. And your kingdom, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Our scripture lessons this morning both come from the gospel of, of John, and both are in Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. So the first reading is from John, John 15, verse 12, and then chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. I invite you to listen for God's word. This is my commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. And now from chapter 17. I'm not praying only for them, meaning the disciples, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. I pray they will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I pray that they also will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one 
just as we are one. I'm in them and you're in me so that they will be made perfectly one. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you loved me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, let's set the scene here. Jesus knows that his his time is fast approaching. The hour of his death on the cross is getting closer and, and closer. He knows he's not going to be around physically with the disciples forever. Uh, as Jesus and his disciples share a meal together, Jesus does this, this strange and, and beautiful act of, of washing their feet and then telling them to follow his example. And he then continues in what's known as a, as a farewell discourse, teaching his disciples, praying for them, offering important last words uh, to be encouraging and edifying for them once he's gone. And he gives them this command. Love one another as I have loved you. Not optional. Not something we get to to vote on whether to do or not to do. No asterisks. Not love one another just as long as they agree with you. Not love one another when it's convenient. Not love this idea. Love one another as I have loved you. And then just a few chapters later, Jesus begins to pray uh, with his disciples and for his disciples. And Jesus has a prayer request. He prays to his Father in heaven and prays that his disciples, current and future, would be one. He doesn't pray for their protection. He doesn't pray that they would be richly blessed. He, he doesn't pray that they would be the same. He doesn't pray for uniformity. He prays they would be one command to love one another, and a prayer for oneness, both in some of Jesus' final teachings. Do you think it was important to him? But lest we think this was somehow super easy for Jesus' followers and for the early church, we, we need to be reminded of some of the makeup of the disciples and the reality of the early church. Jesus knew how incredibly hard this would be. Remember, Jesus called both Matthew a tax collector and Simon a zealot to be his disciples. They would have been on on polar opposite ends of the spectrum. It's hard to imagine them agreeing on much of anything. In his prior life, Matthew worked for the oppressive occupying government of Rome that was burdening the Jewish people with taxes for its empire. As a Jew, Matthew would have been seen as a total sellout and would have been counted among the thieves and murderers of the day. Simon the Zealot, as the name would suggest, (laughs) was an extremist, a Jewish nationalist, a revolutionary type bent on, on overthrowing Rome and restoring Israel and returning Israel to its former glory days. Yet both said yes to Jesus' call to follow. Together, They learned at Jesus' feet. Together, they saw him heal. They heard him teach. They had their feet washed by him. And they heard Jesus say, love one another as I have loved you. And heard Jesus pray, Father, I pray that they will be one. I imagine they learned to to get along and minister together. Actually, not, not just get along. That's not radical enough. Truly love one another 
not because they completely agreed on, on every uh, sociopolitical matter, but because the Savior and the mission they had in common were more important than the politics that could divide them. In the early church, there were huge, great, big arguments on how to include non-Jewish or Gentile people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They need to become Jewish first and be circumcised and observe all the, the ritual and ceremonial law and customs. No, they don't. They receive the Holy Spirit just like we did. And what really counts is the new uh, creative work of God in their lives. James, Jesus' brother, Peter, Paul, other church leaders all argued over this. And Jesus had said, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus had prayed, Father, I pray that they will be one. And I imagine, because we're worshiping today, where we are the church, I imagine they, they learned to get along. Actually, not just get along. That's not radical enough. But truly love one another. Because they agreed on, not because they agreed on everything, but because the Savior and the mission they had in common were more important than what could divide them. And so even if it was imperfect at times, and it was, and messy, these disciples and the early church managed to love one another even while disagreeing politically or otherwise. They managed to be one, not the same, not uniform, but one in mission and purpose and identity comprised of Romans and Greeks, male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. And when all was said and done, the base, the base that they came back to was not their differing opinions on things, but Jesus and his family, the church. The tie that, that, that bound them together was not like-mindedness, but the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus had said it was mission critical. Love one another, because it's through your love that other people will know that you're my disciples. I pray you will be one, because it's how others will know, oh God, that, that you sent me. Others will know who I am. No vote on this. Not optional. Mission critical. So how are we doing right now, friends? Are we providing an alternative to the division, the hatred, the lies, the nastiness, the partisanship? Or have we been sucked into it just like everybody else? People are watching. Your friends, your Facebook friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, especially if they know you're trying to follow Jesus. Are watching. When followers of Jesus lose our minds and our way, other people lose their faith or are turned off from the church. Ask yourself this honest question. Are the followers of Jesus you know, either personally or through Facebook, part of the healing? Part of the alternative? Are you? Am I? Or are we perpetuating the problems? Is Jesus and his church your true base? Or is your political tribe? Now just to be clear, and I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about 
glossing over serious injustices and wrongs to achieve a kind of shallow, false unity. That's problematic too. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. But the truth is, our membership to Jesus Christ and the church should be so much stronger, more life-giving, more purposeful, more fulfilling than membership to a particular political tribe. If we are going to survive this election without losing our minds or our way, we are going to have to not lose the way of Jesus, which is the way of love. We're going to have to find the strength and the discipline to love unconditionally, even while not agreeing politically. We're going to have to find the humility to confess, repent, and forgive, and be open to learning. We're going to have to be more drawn to our spiritual and faith community base than our political one. We're going, to have to be, we're going to have to be more committed to being one in our mission and purpose and identity as the church than being one with our political tribe or ideology. We're going to have to love our neighbor more, way more than a political ideology or platform. Your political uh, your political opinion or persuasion, my political opinion or persuasion, is far less real than our love or lack thereof for the person that doesn't share that political opinion or persuasion. Your political opinion or persuasion, my political opinion or persuasion, is far less real than our love or lack thereof for a person who doesn't share that political opinion or persuasion. Are we giving what's real? A chance? Is your love speaking louder right now than your political opinions and posts? Friends, before we were members of a particular party or political tribe, we are members of the body of Christ and therefore of one another through baptism, through our baptism. As Paul writes, as members of the body of Christ, hands can't say to feet, I have no need of you. Thicker than the threads of opinion and preferences that ties to political party or platform are the cords of love that bind us to one another as followers of Jesus in the church. If you knew who the person sitting beside you voted for or will vote for, or just picture that in your mind, I know we're not actually here, if you knew who the person sitting beside you voted for or will vote for, would that change how you loved them? Just assume that I'm voting differently than you. Can I still be your pastor? Just assume that your brother and sister in Christ, your neighbor, is voting differently than you are. Will you love them well? The Mitchells. Lifelong Democrats planted a Joe Biden side in the front yard of their suburban Pittsburgh home. The Gateses, who live next door and who are lifelong Republicans, put a Donald Trump sign in theirs. Another homemade sign stands in the front of each of those yards, and it reads, We part them, and has arrows pointing to the other houses. There's so much hate says Chris Mitchell, who came up with this idea. We want to send a message. That message, says members of the Mitchell Gates households, is this. People on opposite ends of the political spectrum can, uh, can actually like each other and be civil. Friends, th this is promising. And 
Jesus takes it further. People on opposite ends of the political spectrum can actually love, love each other and be one in Christ's redemptive mission. Closer to us, I read a story from a a colleague this week who saw it in the newsletter of a a retirement community in in Durham. Apparently, a resident had gone to uh, a little church on the corner of Garrett Road and Highway 54 in Durham to, to cast her vote early in the early voting process. She arrived approximately 20 minutes before the polls opened. Parking some distance from the entrance, she was dismayed to see a significant line had already queued up to vote. As she retrieved her her walker and began to make her way to the end of the line, a young man came from the front of a line and said to her, Ma'am, I'm third from the front. Please take my place. Then seeing this interchange, a voting official approached the resident to say that she could actually move her vehicle closer to the entrance. Realizing that this would be a a chore for the woman with a walker, some of the folks there actually moved her car for her. And then as as the resident was ready to move from where she had originally parked to her new spot in, in line, a young man came to help, offering her his arm. And as she took his arm and moved toward the front of the line at the polling place, Democrats, Republicans, men, women, black, white, began to applaud And together, the entire voting line began to sing Amazing Grace. What if stories like these weren't anecdotes, but the main narrative? What if stories like these weren't just anecdotes, but were the main narrative? In this divided world, we will be tempted to make our politics ultimate. But we must resist that. We must instead make Jesus' command and prayer ultimate. We want to make politics the standard by which we judge everything and everyone, but we must resist that. Instead, we must make the greatest commandment the standard by which we love. We will want to love an idea, a headline, a tweet more than people, or care more about convincing ourselves we're always right than listening and learning, but we must resist that, friends. We must instead love people more than ideas and be willing to check the blind spots of our own ignorance while not being afraid of new knowledge because we know that our true base is the community of faith. We'll be tempted to to try to win a political argument and in so doing try to shame someone over to our side, but we must resist that. Instead, we must allow allow God's love to, uh, to flow through us to draw someone more deeply into communion with Jesus Christ in the church. We'll be tempted to to dehumanize those with whom we disagree so that it's easier to hate them, but we must resist that. We must be willing to see them as created in the image of God, all the while confessing our own sins before God in the places and ways that we have been wrong. We'll want to... Uh, We'll be tempted to try to surround ourselves with people and mediums that tell us we're we're right and everybody else is wrong. But we must resist that. We must be willing to get around people who are different than us. We might even be tempted to to, to retreat to the comfort and safety of our political bunker at the expense of, of relationships that matter in our lives and even in our church family. But we must resist that. We must not allow our party line to sever the tie that actually binds us together. 
because it's mission critical. And while I hope that that everyone has or is planning to vote in the election, this is something we don't get to vote on. We don't get to vote each other off the church island. We're stuck with each other. Love one another. It's a command. Be one. It's a prayer. And they might just keep us from losing our minds and our way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.